Why is this such an important subject? Because I don't know if you guys have been watching the news or you're up to date about what's happening in Israel today, in the state of Israel. Um, but there's a, what you could call a battle for the soul of the state. Okay? A battle for the soul of the state. And we've seen it every time, once in a while it flares up. What's the direction we're going in? We seem to be at a stalemate. We seem stuck. Which direction are we going to be going in? Are we going to be going the way that Europe and America seem to want us to go? Is there another idea where we want to go? Are we afraid to say it? Do we even know what it is? Are we even willing to contemplate it? Okay. And every once in a while, these flames start to burst up. Um, for example, there's this movie that came out called The Settlers. Okay. Has anyone heard of this? Hamid Nachlim. The movie, a, uh, an Israeli who used to be in the naval commandos, he left and he moved to New York. Uh, and suddenly he got money to make this movie where he interviews a lot of uh, Jews who are living beyond the green line. And I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I would like to see it. But definitely, hello. One of the purposes of the movie is to paint a picture of the settlement movement through the eyes of someone who is, I would say, against the idea. Just recently, there was in the news um, a video of a, uh, someone who I know, uh, who does a very good job, he works with in, Israel, in like Hasbra on his own. He makes movies promoting Israel throughout the world on Facebook, and they did a, 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 a um, a program on him uh, on television and at the end of the program the woman who was giving the program at the end says wow there's also I get and here's someone who's sane from the town of Yitzhar what's she saying actually she's saying that in my impression in my worldview the people in Yitzhar are not sane they're insane and so I'm going to point out that he is saying, these voices come out again and again, okay? And there was a voice that came out also, uh, even, for example, what, the helper of uh, Buji Herzog wrote some very difficult things, very harmful and hurtful things about the Jewish, the settlement movement, let's say, uh, after, he, after he watched this movie that I mentioned earlier. And in it, he talks about that he even calls people murderers. Okay, there's this battle going on. Tzipi Livni. She came out and said, look, we have to now decide which way are we going to go. Are we going to go in the direction of two states? Or are we going to have control of the entire land and lose our identity? There's this great fear that the state of Israel is going to lose its identity. What I just wanted to spell out to you guys is that there's this identity crisis in the land of Israel. An identity crisis... And Mashiach ben Yosef is going to play a very important role in, in this idea, the, the idea of Mashiach ben Yosef, and that's what I want to talk about today. Okay? Um, the battle, in large, is between two forces. A force that says that we came back to this land in order to be an Am Kechol Ha'amim. A people like all the peoples. We came back to the land of Israel in order to be normal. The Bulgarians have Bulgaria and speak Bulgarian. The Poles have Poland and speak Polish. The Italians have Italy and speak Italian. 
And we came back here to this land also. Shalom, shalom. Can you close the door, please? Yeah. He was following you in. He came in the back way. Shalom, shalom. <coughs> No problem. Come sit down. So we're talking about these two forces. One force says, we came here to be a normal people. And now what is all this, the Jews with the payas and the big kippah that are living in Hebron and, and near Shechem and so forth, they're ruining it. Do they look like normal people? Do they act like all the other nations? We came back here to be a normal people and our identity is being stolen from us if they win. That's one of the voices. And the other voice that we hear without, also throughout our tradition, not, not to be a nation like all the nations, but to be special. That the Jewish people have a special mission, and our job is actually to be different from the nations of the world. So what I want to show in, throughout this series is that there is this clash of identity within the people of Israel today. We see it coming out through the news, we see it coming out through politics, we see it coming out through international relations. And that is the turning point we're at right now. What are these two forces? This is where we come to the idea of Mashiach ben Yosef. Before I start to say it, I wanted to be clear, when most of the time we speak of the idea of Mashiach, what is Mashiach? Mashiach the idea of Mashiach, Messiah, um, for the most part people think that there is supposed to be one Mashiach. Right? But what we see in our sources is actually that that's not true. We see that there's an idea of what's called Mashiach ben David. And there's an idea of what's called Mashiach ben Yosef. And according to other sources, there are even more Mashiachim than that. There's a Mashiach in some sources for every tribe. Not only are there Mashiachim for... Look, I mean, the word Mashiach in Hebrew, what does the word Mashiach actually mean? Someone who's anointed. And who was anointed? Any king or any high priest. Or even the, the coin that was, that was anointed for war. The, Mashiach, the idea of Mashiach is, is a special status that someone has, right? That has a special relationship and a special power that's coming to be expressed within the people of Israel. Okay? So, but in our tradition, in our tradition we see that there's actually more than one Mashiach. Now the truth is, uh, uh, and, and we are going to have to go and look and see what the different identities are of this Mashiach ben David, Mashiach ben Yosef, and who they are. Now, what we're going to be using as the basis for this, for this class, for the four-point series, is um, a eulogy by Harav Kook. Does everyone know who Harav Kook is? Yes? Harav Kook eulogized Dr. Benjamin Theodore Herzl. Who is he? The founder of the Zionist movement, right? Of the modern Zionist movement. He eulogized him when he passed away on Kaf Tammuz Tafresh Samech Dalid. And he wrote what's called a Misped Biushalayim, a eulogy in Jerusalem. And in it, he touches upon the idea that the ideas and the, the powers that are expressed inside of Theodore Herzl are Miprinat Meshech Ben Yosef. That there's some kind of power of Meshech Ben Yosef. That's sitting in there, and that's where we're going to be. We're going to be looking through it. Now, the truth is that a lot of these things that we're going to be talking about, okay, we're going. To, I'm going to be using this. Uh, it's it can be found in the Mamariria uh, in in Hebrew. You can find it there. The eulogy itself. Uh, it's it's not very long. Uh, I'm also going to be using this book, which is called Mispet Mashiach. That was a series of lessons that Rav Yudah Ashkenazi Zichron Levacha 
gave on this eulogy itself and where he explains different, different aspects of it. But we're going to be going through and we're going to be looking at the sources. Now, one of the things we have to keep in mind is that throughout our exile, okay, the idea of Mashiach has been, was corrupted tremendously. Okay? If we're talking about our time in when we were powerless, when we, were, we had no political power, we had no military power, we had no... We were under, totally under the power of the, of the nations of the world in our exile. The idea of Mashiach, which you can see, like for example in the Rambam where he talks about it, a king in Israel who defeats the enemies of Israel, who rebuilds Jerusalem, rebuilds the temple, who engathers the exile, that starts to become like a fantasy. It's something so far away from your life that you can't even fathom it actually taking place. So one of the problems we have when we talk about the idea of Mashiach is the idea that through our exile it became like this kind of fantasy, far-off idea. But we have, and not something that's tangible, historical, inside of our reality, that we can identify. The second problem is that when we were looking, for example, in the Jewish exiles throughout the Christian world, anytime you talk about the idea of Messiah, you automatically run into the ideas of the Christian Messiah, right? The word Christos in Greek, meaning the Mashiach. It's a translation of the word Mashiach in Hebrew. And so there was a problem, problem of speaking, even speaking about the idea of Mashiach throughout the uh, Jews, throughout the Christian world. And so what happened in much of the the uh, uh, Jewish communities throughout the Christian world is that the idea of Mashiach became, stopped being something that was taught on a daily basis to students, to like Jewish students in Talmud Torah. And it became kind of esoteric teachings. Things that had to do with the Kabbalah. Things that were only for the select few for them to study. Now Rav Yudha Ashkenazi, for example, he comes from Algeria. And he says, I heard him testify in recording that he says, when I grew up, we were taught about the idea of Mashiach, who was born before the state of Israel was established. He, was, he fought in World War II. We were taught about the idea of Mashiach when, already when I was a kid in Talmud Torah. It was not, it didn't belong to the Torah Nistar. It belonged to Torah Nigle. It was something that every student knew about. And not only that, he said, is that we, were, we all knew that we were expecting two Mashiachim. Not one, two. Two different identities, two different identities of what Mashiach is that Mashiach ben Yosef is going to come before Mashiach ben David. Okay? And that, he said, was the standard in the Jewish communities that were living in the Islamic world where they had less of a... Of a uh, 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 what's that? Less of a confrontation with, with Christianity. And, so, and there were other, also other things that passed throughout the Ashkenazic Jewish world at the same time. The other thing we have to keep in mind is that the idea of Mashiach, like the, the Grah says, that... These are forces that are acting in our reality, in our history, at all times. Which gives it a special level for us. Because we're looking at our history, we're looking at our politics, we're looking at the social status, we're looking at what, like I mentioned at the beginning of the shiur, what's happening on the news, what's happening in society, and we can actually see these forces of Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David coming through in the people of Israel. There's something that always exists inside the people of Israel in one manner or another. They're like prisms through which our life continues. Does this make sense? 
If you guys have questions, stop me and ask, please. Okay? So these are prisons to which we like. So now that we go to Rav Kook. Rav Kook, in the, when he eulogizes Benjamin uh, Herzl, uh, he's pulling out and he's saying, this, the Zionist movement, is Mipchinat Meshech Ben Yosef. There's something of Meshech Ben Yosef inside. And now we have to see what is this Meshech Ben Yosef. Okay? And then we can try to identify it in our lives. And then we can also try to see what the Torah is trying to tell us about how we're supposed to re- re- relate to these forces of Meshech Ben Yosef and Meshech Ben David in the reality that we're, we're in right now. Okay? Does that make sense? So I'll begin. Uh, at the beginning, we're going to go a little bit fast because it's a li- it, there's a little bit of a complicated um, uh, sugi at the beginning. I'm, I'm reading from a, a quotation from Masechet Megillah. Okay? Daf Gimel. Okay, Dav Gimel Amud Aleph. Second Megillah, Dav Gimel Amud Aleph. So Rav Kook opens and he says, "Bayom Hu." It's a quote. It's actually a quote from Zechariah. Okay, a quote from Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah, where he's talking about the end of times. And what he says is, "Bayom Hu Yigdal Hamisped BiYushalayim Kemisped Hadad Rimon BeVikat Megidon." Okay. In the end of times, there will be, in that day, there will be a great eulogy in Jerusalem. As great as the eulogy of Hadad Rimon in the valley of Megiddo. Okay? What's the problem with this pasuk? The problem with it is, is that we don't have any recollection of a eulogy throughout the Tanakh of Hadad Rimon in Bikat Megiddo. This pasuk makes no sense to us. Now Rav Kook says, Chazal Amru Shionatan ben Uziel tegem nevi'im v'nizdaza ha'eretz Yisrael abamot parsa abamot parsa. Okay, our sages said that there was a translation to this pasuk. And the translation of this pasuk was given by Yonatan ben Uziel, who the Gemara says in Masechet Megillah was a student of the last prophets. And he translated this pasuk into Aramaic. And what does he say? And he said, when he translated it, this is what the Gemara says, nizdaza that the land of Israel shook. There was like an earthquake that shook the entire length of the land of Israel. He did something insane. How could he translate and translate this pasuk? What's so important about this pasuk? What, what is the Gemara trying to tell us? It's saying that there's something secret in this pasuk that he shouldn't have said. Something that was hidden. Because there are things that is forbidden to what? To publicize. To publicize. What are you doing? You're publicizing something that's supposed to be in the realm of... What's that? And for example, this pasuk that we opened up with, of this eulogy for Adad Rimon and Bikat Migdon is, is, is the example of something that holds a secret into it and that's something that shouldn't have been translated. That's what Rav Yosef said. But Yonatan ben Uziel stood up before Hashem, according to the Gemara. This is what's related in the Gemara. And he said, I indeed have revealed your secrets to people, to mankind. Let it be known, it's known before you, Hashem, that I did not reveal this for my own personal honor or for the honor of my family. I revealed this 
אלא שלא תרבה מחלוקת בישראל. But I reveal this because it was necessary to reveal this in order that there not be division within Israel. Okay? And we're going to, as we go forth, this is the opening of the eulogy. In other words, why is it so, going to be so important for us to understand what Mashiach ben Yosef is, what Mashiach ben David is? Is because if we don't understand it, what's the Gemara saying? If we don't understand the differences between these two, and the special role that each of these forces plays in our life, what is going to happen? What's going to be the result? Division within Israel. Okay? There's something to be said about that, but there's something to be said about that, but we're not relating to that at the moment. וצריך להבין מה הגודל הנסתר שיש בפסוק הזה. הרב קוק says, we have to understand what's so, what's so hidden in this, in this passage. שגילת הגומו כמספד אחיו דקת תרייתי הדד רימון, וכמספד ישעיהו דקת תרייתי פר הגירה בבקעת מגידו. What's the translation that Yonatan ben Uziah wrote? Okay, you guys want to hear the secret? You want to hear the secret or no? You sure? No, you don't want to? Okay, we'll close the book. Close it, huh? <laughs> okay, turn off the camera. Okay. Uh, this is what he says in Aramaic. I'll translate it into English, okay? And that day, the eulogy shall be as great as the eulogy we said of Hadad Rimon Bibigat Megidon. That's what it says in Zechariah. But this is the translation. It shall be great as the eulogy of Achav. Who was Achav? One of the worst kings of Israel. One of the, well, we're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss that, okay? One of the kings of Israel, of the northern kingdom of Israel, right? After the division of Israel and Judah. The Katayate Hadad Rimon, who was killed by Hadad Rimon, right? A, a Syrian king, right? A Aram, Aramean king. And the eulogy of Yeshaya, who was Yeshaya? Yeshaya? A king, not Yeshaya, Yeshaya. Yoshayahu was the king of Judah, one of the kings of the southern kingdom, right? The Katayate, who was killed by Pharaoh Hagira in the valley of Megiddo. What's Megiddo, by the way? What's that? What, what became distorted through the Christian tradition into what's called Armageddon, right? And we have even movies made about it, and it's in the, the mythology of the Western world, Armageddon, which is a translation of Har Megiddo. Right? The Valley of Megiddo. There's a city in Israel called Megiddo. We have archaeological remains there from uh, some of the oldest and most important archaeological remains in, in Megiddo. It's a gigantic plain uh, where gigantic battles could take place because armies, you know, could spread themselves out on either side and go at it. It's a, it's a, it's a bika. It's a bika, right. Emek Israel. It is on a little hill inside the, the Emek, like the city itself, the historical city itself. But here it's called Bikat Megiddo, like the plains of Megiddo. Okay? So Rav Kook says, first of all, what's so special? That's his translation. What secret did he reveal to us? Question number one. Question number two. The fact that we know this, how does this prevent us from being divided among ourselves. Mm-hmm. And he says, and what secrets are there? There's not even any secret here. So those are the questions Rav Kook asks, and now we go to the answers. 
והנה חז"ל אמרו שהספד זה יהיה על משך בן יוסף שנהרג, אוקיי? Now חז"ל, our sages said um, that this verse relates to, is actually telling us about one of the things that we say about משך בן יוסף, that משך בן יוסף can be killed, right? In fact, in many sidurim, uh, there's prayers that we were supposed to we're supposed to think when we say the bracha to build Yerushalayim that Mashiach ben Yosef should not be killed. We have to pray for him not to be killed. Romilius, exactly. Who's Romilius? Romilius is Rome. Romilius. There's a, there's a sage at the time when uh, the, before the state of Israel was established during World War II. Okay? Uh, something interesting. Uh, where um, there was a, the Jewish brigade in what was then Palestine, right? The mandate of Palestine here in Israel. They were protecting here the land. And one of the jobs of the Palmach, for example, the strike force of the Haganah, which preceded the Tzahav, preceded the idea, its job was to protect the land of Israel from who? What was the danger of the British Empire here in the land of Israel? Who was coming through the North Africa at the time? Germany, Germany and Italy. Italy. Germany and Italy were coming through. And who was the general who was in charge of them? Romulus. Uh, Rommel. Rommel was the general who was in charge of, uh, uh, of the entrance into the land of Israel. And they almost came. They almost came here. In other words, so there was a, a, um, a Jewish... Rabbi, obviously, a Jewish uh, rabbi during, the time, uh, during this time, who said that this is the story of Mashiach ben Yosef, where it could have been, what, hap- what would have happened had the Germans and the Italians, the Germans, been able to come into the land of Israel, what would have happened to the Jewish settlement in Palestine at that time? It would have been gone. And especially when we're reading now Rav Kook, where he's talking about, what is he talking about here, and when we're saying Mashiach ben Yosef, he's saying to you something, he's saying the Zionist movement, as we have known it, as it was framed by Theodor Herzl, is, in essence, an expression of Mashiach ben Yosef. And one of the, by the way, one of the things we should point out is, if you look, do you guys have Sefer Bereshit? Let's open up Sefer Bereshit real quick. Uh, to, uh, you don't have it, so I'll open up uh, instead of you. Uh, chapter 30, Lamed. Okay, where Yaakov is in exile. We, we have a saying, the Ramban says, Masei Avot Siman Labanim. Like all the stories about all of these, uh, Abraham and Yitzchak and Ishmael and Yaakov and Esav and the 12 tribes and all this is, are prototypes of forces in our world that come to expression with, through history, not only in the generation of the Torah itself, but in, the, in our generation as well throughout every generation, that these are forces that we have to uh, 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 talk about. So now watch what happens when Yaakov is in exile in Aram, right? He's working for Lavan, correct? You guys know the story? He's working for Lavan, Nahon. And he's there for how many years? There, you know, seven years uh, for uh, Leah, Gitzurachel, another seven years, right, for Leah. He has children there. When does he decide to come back? When did he decide to come back from exile, back to the land of his fathers? Uh, we can look at Lamed Kaf Gimel, 23. Now listen what it says here. V'tahar v'teled ben. 
Okay, Rivka. Hey, Rachel, sorry. Rachel gets pregnant and she has a child. Sof, sof. Finally, after waiting for so many years, she finally has a child. Who's this child? Vetomer Asaf Elohim et Chepati. That God has, has removed my, uh, has gathered up or removed my, uh, my Chepa. Uh, How do you say Chepa? What? Chepa is like the, my shame, my shame. Vatikrat Shmo Yosef. And she called his name, what? Yosef. Lemo Yosef Adonai Li Benechel. Yosef is born, finally. Okay? And then what's the next verse? And the, the Torah emphasizes, and it was, so it was, when Rachel gave birth to Yosef, when Yosef is born, Yaakov goes to Lavan and he says, send me away and I'll go to my place, to back to my land. In other words, Yosef being born is the sign for Yaakov that it's time to come back to the land of Israel. Yosef in Gematria is what? Zion. Yosef in Gematria is Zion. In other words, the birth of the Zionist movement was the time for Yosef, the power of Yosef is born, and now it's time to come back from exile. After what? 20 years. right? 20 years in exile in Aram, and he comes back to the land of Israel. Now what Rashi says on this pasuk is very interesting. I have it here, I hope. Yes. Why, what's so special about Yosef? Uh, well, what's so special about Yosef? Yeah? Do you want to say? Uh, what's so special about Yosef? That when he comes back, the son of Rachel, that now is the time to come back. I'm sorry? Ah, excellent. Yefeh. Yefeh. Rashi. Exactly what Rashi says. What does Rashi say? Here, I'll read it, I'll read it out so we get it exact. Rashi says on this pasuk, no, where is it? Ah, here we are. Okay. It says, Mishenolad kasher yaldar Rachel Yosef. The minute that Yosef was born, Mishenolad stano shel Esav, says Rashi. The adversary of Esav was born. Because what was the reason why Yaakov had to run away from the land of Israel? He had to run away from the land of Israel because Esav wanted to destroy him for stealing the, the blessing from Yitzchak. So now, Yosef is the power that can do what? He can neutralize Esav. Why can the Yosef Shenemar and Rashi brings the pasuk, the verse from Ovadia, the prophet? Ovadia, the prophet, by the way, himself was from Edom. He was from a descendant of Esav. That's why he prophesied about Esav. He was a ger tzedek. Vaya Beit Yaakov Esh, and in that day, the house of Jacob shall be a fire. Ubeit Yosef and the house of Joseph, Yosef shall be a flame. Ubeit Esav lakash, and Esav will be like straw, like you said, right? In other words, Yosef is the power that can burn and destroy Esav. Why is Yosef the power that can destroy Esav? Okay, right. You're explaining that Yosef, he's he's. But why, I'm saying, why did the prophet say that Yosef is like a fire and Esav is like straw? Like, what is... No, I know, straw is flammable. What is so special about Yosef? This is what I'm asking you. Let's, let's think about the story of Yosef. What is so special about Yosef? What power does Yosef hold that's, that, that allows for him to be able to fight against Esav? 
Guys, I want to talk a second. Who is Yosef? Who is Yosef? Rachel's son. But what does he do in his life? He gets sold into Egypt. And the next time that his brothers meet him, what is he? He looks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. Right? He eats like an Egyptian. He holds political power in Egypt. What is he able to do? His name name becomes Egyptian. He is the power of the nations. He speaks 70 tongues, right, Chazal say? He was the economic power of Egypt. He was in charge of international relations in Egypt. Yosef is the political power of this world. He is the power of this world. He's able to succeed in this world. He's, a, he's able to succeed in this world even when he's... Don't know why. His identity, his external identity transforms. Anyone looks at him from the side, what does he think he is? Is he a Jew? He's an Egyptian. He looks like an Egyptian from the outside. But what do we know from the inside? Even though he looked like an Egyptian on the outside and he acted like an Egyptian on the outside and he spoke like an Egyptian on the outside, deep down inside, what was he? That's why when his brothers come to him, he shows them his brit. He says, look, I'm circumcised like you. In other words, there's something hidden inside me, my identity, my identity, what you said is shmirat abrit, because when he was about to be tempted to, to really act like an Egyptian, he saw a picture of his father, right? That's what Chazal say. He saw a picture of his father and he said, no, I'm loyal to my real identity. He's loyal to his identity. He's am amim. He looks like every other nation. He looks like a Gentile. But deep down, he's able to hold on to that spark and that's the talent of Yosef. That's why he's a tzaddik. He's able to hold on to that spark of holiness inside of him, inside of his identity, even though everything external about him is like the nations, like the goyim. Am amim, A nation like all the nations. A normal people. And it's by him acting in politics, in economy, in the world of Egypt, in the court of Egypt, of Pharaoh, that he's trying to promote the plan and the mission of the Jewish people. Now, who is the inheritor of this world? Let, let, let's, let's go back a stage. Let's go back a stage, one moment. Who is Israel? Who is Israel? Who is Israel? Is it Yaakov or Esav? What do you guys say? Is it Yaakov or Esav? In the end, who, who is Israel? Yaakov. Yaakov is Israel? I think your answer was correct. The Torah tells us that Yaakov and Esav are twins. They're, they're, they, they together are Israel. And it's only when Yaakov proves that he can also adapt the power of Esav, the power of Esav being this world, right? The ability to, to act on the political stage, the ability to, to be a hunter, the ability to, to be a, a mover in this world, that he becomes Israel. And that's the machloket, that's the dispute between Yitzchak and Rivka. Mm-hmm. Apparently Yitzchak thought 
that Esav and Yaakov would be able to work together and, be, and they would be Israel. And that's why, for example, Yaakov has 12 sons, right? How many daughters? One, what's her name? Dina. And who is she supposed to marry? One of the, one of the people that she's supposed to marry is Esav. In other words, there was, supposed, there was an idea, Havamina, that Esav and Yaakov would be able to combine and become Israel. And what Rivka, her gedula, her greatness was, that she saw that, that Esav cannot do it. He has to be out. And Yaakov can adopt the power of Esav. Now, who is it within Yaakov that adopts the power of Esav? Yosef. And that's why when Yosef is born, when all, the power to act on the political stage, like the nations of the world, is born within the people of Israel, the Zionist movement, Theodore Herzl, even though you might look like a German, and even you tried to act like a German, an Aust- Austrian, you want to be a nation like all nations, that's your external motivating factor. This power is the power that's going to be able to confront the nations of the world and to compete with the nations of the world and defeat them, ultimately. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So now, so what we're saying is, that there's a power within the people of Israel that wants to act like the nations of the world. Very much so. Is this a good thing or a bad thing? Why? Okay, okay. It can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. Okay. When we know where we are as, as a nation and as a nation of holy people to bring the mission to the nation, in this position, it clearly then we can go out. Wait, I'll but say again, I'm sorry? When Israel knows the, the position where we have to be as a nation, as a holy nation and a holy a pri- a nation of priests, then when with that knowledge, we can go out and bring them, them the message. But as as long as we try to copy them and to bring Formal One and all this craziness to Jerusalem, then, then that's not the way to make a relationship. So, so what, you're saying, what you're saying is that Mashiach ben Yosef, the idea of Yosef is actually detrimental to the Jewish mission. Because what we have to be is we have to be different from the nations of the yeah, world. Exactly. And, there, then, and the power of Yosef, but, but the Torah was telling us that the power of Yosef is something that's necessary. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's something that's necessary for us to come back. But you're saying it's not enough. Because Joseph inside, he remained a Jew in full heart and full soul. Huh? He remained a Jew yeah. inside. But it didn't come outside. Hmm. It didn't come out. So what Rav Cook is going to tell us, yeah. So, no, no. Fundamental, like the first mitzvah that's given to the Adam is to work in the garden, tend it or whatever. It wouldn't make sense if, if God has a chosen nation and we just can't do that, can't be involved in the world. It's like, we have to have that aspect and we have to do it God's way. I mean, that's, that's one of the fundamental purposes of mankind. It's one of the fundamental functions, anyways. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. got to be somebody in our nation doing it. Otherwise, it's like we're kind of incomplete. Ah, so, so, excellent. 
do we we have to what you're saying is that we have to have I'll, I'll give you the words that Rav Cook uh, talks about in just a moment he says Mashiach ben Yosef is like the body and Mashiach ben David is like the soul the body without a soul is meaningless right the body without a soul is just that is really like the nations of the world but the soul also without a body and that's what I, I hear you saying a soul without a body is also meaningless. In other words, we need both of them, and we need to be able to combine them both, and for each of them to be in harmony, one with the other, in order for us to move forward to the next stage. You understand what I'm saying? That, that, that's the idea that you're, I heard you saying. Okay? In other words, Mashiach ben Yosef, you know what it's like there in, in, in uh, the prophe- prophecy of Yechezkel. Okay, there's something we, we've brought before him, Avi Cheskel, where he talks about the bones. Okay? And he sees the vision of the valley of the bones. And, he says, and Hashem says to him, do you think that these bones can live? And he says, you know, Hashem. And then slowly the bones start to come together, right? The wrist bone to the ankle bone, whatever. The, the ribs, everything comes together. And then slowly they have cartilage and tendons and blood vessels and muscles and skin. But still, just a body, and then Yechezkel says, can, uh, says, "Can these bones live?" Those are that's the vision of the bones of the atzamot. One of the things I we, we've mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but that's one of the ways we can understand what's called Yom Ha'atzmaut, right? Independence Day in Israel. What's Independence Day? Yom Ha'atzmaut. Read Yom Ha'atzmaut, the day of our bones. When the state of Israel was established, what did we receive? Our bones. When we were living in exile, we were like a ghost wandering around the world. Individuals, communities, we didn't really have any say in economics or politics, international relations, military. We didn't have any power. We were like a soul without a body. We were a soul without a body. What did the Zionist movement do? Yosef, Tzion, being born, established here, eventually, our body. Now guess what? All the nations of the world have bodies. Right? In other words, Mashiach ben Yosef is nationalism. Nationalism like the Goyim, like the Gentiles. Polish nationalism, Russian nationalism, Italian nationalism, German nationalism, American nationalism, Jewish nationalism, why not? Just like everyone else. One of the things that's hard for people to the grass, but I think that it's something important and it's, it's a little bit dangerous to say is that the real, we have to understand that the early Zionist movement, even though it had like I don't want to dis, I, I, I believe that what Rav was saying, it is like Yosef at Tzaddik that on the external level on the external level people were keeping Shabbat, most of the, the vast majority of Zionists they were secular they rejected religion they weren't keeping Shabbat, they didn't keep kosher, they didn't put on tefillin, but on the other hand, they were building the land. They started building farms, they started building roads. But what happened with them is that from their perspective, in many ways, you can see this in their writings, um, the early Zionist movement was many, in many times, externally at least, an answer to the Jewish question of Europe. 
What was the Jewish question of Europe? Are the Jews a part of us or are they a separate nation? Are they Frenchmen that can belong to the French nation, that follow French laws, that speak French? Or are they members of the exiled Jewish nation and their loyalty is to the Jewish people and their loyalty is to Jerusalem and their language is Hebrew and their, their laws are the laws of the Hebrew, uh, 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 of Hebrew law. And that was a question, for example, Napoleon Bonaparte asked the Jews in the Paris Sanhedrin in the early 1800s, right? He said, and if you answer right, I'm going I'm to make you guys French. I'll, re- I'll restore your French citizenship. Now what happened is that the Jews, did they answer right or did they not answer right? Of course they answered right. They lied. They said, oh, no, 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 we're Frenchmen, we're Frenchmen, we have, but we have a Jewish religion. We have, we're of the Mosaic persuasion. We're Frenchmen, we speak French, we, we, we're loyal to France, and so forth and so forth. Now, what was the problem? Is that, the, they, did they really believe that, the rabbis? No. They knew that we were part of the Jewish nation that was exiled throughout the nations. But what happened is that when you start telling that story again and again and again, you start to believe it. And the place we're at right now, when you look at the Jewish world, is we're a place where Jews actually believe that that's the truth. In other words, we're Americans, Italians, Frenchmen of the Jewish persuasion. Now, the Zionist movement was born, in many ways, as a result of this question. Are the Jews a part of us or are they not? And the Jews wanted to say, yes, we are. And someone so far as to say, you know, cut off your beard, start speaking French and German, go to, someone went so far as to convert to Christianity to fit in. But what happened is they saw it wasn't working. Right? Theodore Herzl himself was at the trial of Alfred Dreyfus in Paris. A Jewish major in the French army who was accused of treason, which was, by the way, a false accusation. And he stood there in the, Paris, in the center of Paris and in front of a French tribunal Theodore Herzl was a journalist writing down what was happening at that time. And the French tribunal said, Alfred Dreyfus, you are a traitor to France. And they took his sword and they broke it and they spit in his face and they ripped off his ranks in front of the crowds. And what did Alfred Dreyfus say? Vive la France. Long live France. The height of a Jew saying, I am a part of France. I am a part of your country. And what did the masses start to chant? Death to the Jews. And when, when Benjamin Zev Herzl heard this, that's when for him the idea of the Jewish state was born. Now, but, but let's understand what's happening here. We wanted to assimilate. We were unable to assimilate because of the anti-Semitism. Why are we unable to assimilate? Because we're an abnormal people. Because every nation who is normal has its own territory and its own language and its own history and its own culture and its own literature. So what do we have to do is we have to assimilate in a different way. We have to be just like all the other nations. Now that is the external caricature of the Zionist movement. Just like Yosef HaTzadik, the external caricature of Yosef was he was an Egyptian. He looked like an Egyptian, he spoke like an Egyptian, Talked like, acted like an Egyptian. And what Rav Cook is saying is that deep down, you guys don't get it. This is the power of Mashiach Ben Yosef that's being born in our generation. 
And now we have to be able to look into it and see what it is exactly that's taking place on a deeper level within it. Even though externally, remember, when Yosef's brothers came to visit him in Egypt, did they recognize him? They didn't recognize him. But did Yosef recognize his brothers? He did. And that is the secret that Rav Kuk is trying to say to us, and that's why we'll learn in the next Shiurim, Bezat Hashem, that the secret that was revealed by Yonatan Ben Uziel about this eulogy for at, uh, this pasuk in Zechariah is going to re- re- remove the dispute within Israel and, and unite Mashiach Ben Yosef and Mashiach Ben David, re- reunite the body and the soul. That's, the, that's going to be the purpose of, uh, of us going forward. Say though. Any questions? What, what we're, when we're talking about Mashiach ben Yosef or Mashiach, we're talking about a force that comes to be expressed within, through different forces within, in history. It can be expressed in a person. For example, one of the people that Chazal tell us was, Mashiach ben Yosef was, and this is weird, but we'll have to understand why, was David Amelech. David Amelech himself was Prinat Mashiach ben Yosef. And we have different sources where we talk about different people, different personas, different personalities expressing this power of Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. What's that? We'll talk about it, uh, we'll talk about it later on. But David uh, is supposed to be a, a person. Uh, according to Halakha, according to the Rambam, indeed, there will be a person who is going to be, uh, who will be, for example, king of Israel, right? And he will be recognized as Mashiach ben David, and that's the, the halakha that the Rambam passes. But, but what's deeper than that is that that person and that persona is an expression of a force that's existing in our, in our reality. The person himself is not the central aspect, but the person himself is an expression of what's happening within the Jewish people at that time. Does that make sense? Differentiation? We have to be careful of the fantasy idea, fantastic idea of like a Messiah, a Mashiach, of this kind of fantastical, magical figure that's going to go and then everything's going to be all better. And that, that, that idea of Mashiach became so ingrained in us over 2,000 years of exile because we actually didn't have the power to do so, to, 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 to bring about redemption. But if you look historically, for example, Rabbi Akiva himself would call out about Bar Kokhva that he is Mashiach. In other words, and the Rambam explains that he was a Bechizkat Mashiach. As long as he was succeeding... It's possible that he was the Mashiach. In other words, the Mashiach, there's a historical process that's taking place. Say no. No. Anything else? Yala, shukrach, tudarabah.